0: Pfizer vaccine shipments dry up. There will be considerable impact across all provinces. What happens to BC's vaccination plan with far fewer shots to give? The stockpile of rapid COVID tests going unused.
1: The screening process asks how you feel today. Well, uh, a rapid testing might be able to tell you truthfully
2: how you are today.
0: Why the province is resisting pressure for more widespread use and social media stunts putting lives at risk.
2: There's a lot of traffic underneath this bridge.
0: Just days after an aspiring influencer dies looking for the perfect shot, police have a warning for daredevils.
3: You're watching Global BC. This is Global
0: News Hour at six. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophia's off tonight. Turns out B.C. isn't getting an allotment of Pfizer vaccine. We were expecting a surprise that could be a significant blow to B.C.'s vaccine timeline. The shortfall next week is nearly 6,000 doses. And Sarah McDonald shows us what it means for B.C.'s vaccination program.
4: A major setback for the federal and provincial vaccine rollout plans on Tuesday. With a surprise announcement from Pfizer. Canada won't see a single dose of the pharmaceutical giant's COVID-19 vaccine next week.
2: The overall impact over the next month um, is in the range of 50% decrease of expected allocations.
4: Health officials in BC now among those scrambling to reassess and revise their programs. Those delivery delays, which Pfizer attributes to upgrades at its European factories to ultimately increase manufacturing capacity, means 5,800 doses initially expected to be in the arms of British Columbians by the end of next week now won't arrive until February.
3: Hopefully this is a one-time interruption, but uh, uh, what we can do in British Columbia is use the vaccine that we receive and use it effectively and on vulnerable populations.
4: Long-term care homes and patients awaiting their second doses, a time-sensitive process, will be prioritized for the limited Pfizer vaccine supply in the meantime, as it appears all Canada can do is wait.
5: We continue to work every day reaching out to the top levels of vaccine companies uh, including uh, myself being involved to ensure uh, that we are getting uh, the doses we need.
4: The federal government says it's still on track to receive the 4 million Pfizer doses set to arrive on Canadian soil by April, with Ontario's Premier pushing the Prime Minister to take a firmer stance.
2: If I was in his shoes, I'm sure he is doing it, but I'd be on that phone call every single day. I'd be up that guy's yin-yang so far with a firecracker, he wouldn't know what hit him with, from Pfizer.
4: B.C. specifically now bracing to fill the void of tens of thousands of doses, which will no longer be arriving as planned over the coming weeks with production expected to ramp up again next month and increased surplus shipments finally set to arrive in March. Sarah mcdonald Global News.
0: More than 92,000 doses of vaccine have been administered in this province so far. Let's take a quick look now at today's COVID-19 numbers. We have 465 new cases today. That brings BC's total to almost 62,000 cases Tragically, 12 more patients died, which means 1,090 people have now died from complications of the virus in B.C. 329 people are in hospital, 70 of those in the ICU. Just over 55,000 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 4,331 active cases and 6,864 in self-isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry right now for some perspective on this. Keith, there are concerns, obviously, about vaccine delays, a mm-hmm. number of lives still being lost. but And we're really looking for a silver lining here. I know we're stretching a bit, but we're actually doing better than we feared post-holidays. What do the numbers tell us?
6: Yeah, we're doing better in a number of categories, Chris. There were concerns that post-holidays, we'd see a big spike in the numbers on all sorts of fronts. But I want to take people back to January 6th. That was in the middle of the incubation period, post-Christmas, post-New Year's Eve. Take a look at these numbers, how we compare back in January 6th and where we are today. in Active cases, we're down more than 2,000 since that time. Hospitalizations are down 52. That's a big number. ICU cases are down a little bit, eight, certainly not higher than 78, which is good news. And the people... People in quarantine and self-isolation are down almost 2,000 as well. So that tells us and me and I mean, I think public health officials, we're trending in the right way right now on a number of key COVID-19 indicators. If the hospitalization numbers can keep going down, that is very good news. And the daily case number doesn't count as much as those ones I just showed you because that's more of a, I think a more comprehensive picture where we're at with COVID-19. Those numbers outside of the maritime provinces, BC is doing much better than any other province, again, outside of the maritimes on a per capita basis. So if this keeps going perhaps the health order that expires on February 5th won't be renewed Uh, but if the numbers continue to track high it probably will but uh, interesting times in the days ahead
0: no doubt and we can still hope thanks very much Keith well in light of the looming pause in Pfizer COVID vaccine deliveries the BC Care Providers Association is once again calling on the province to make use of the thousands of rapid testing kits that are now sitting in storage The group says those tests should be used to help ensure the safety of residents and staff at long-term care facilities who are still waiting to be vaccinated. Aaron MacArthur reports.
7: For the better part of a year, Lisa Dawson has been moving heaven and earth just to spend time with her dad. With the prospect of vaccinations for visitors at his care home still months away, using rapid testing to make visits easier makes sense. Every long-term
1: care door should be open to it. It's just another tool to help the administration and the facility protect the residents, staff, and essential caregivers. But
7: the province isn't sold on rapid testing for long-term care homes. The federal government has delivered 1.3 million test kits to BC, but outside of a pilot project, none are being deployed in long-term care facilities. The province has used the tests in remote communities and in prisons with some success, but the provincial health officer says the tests are too labour-intensive for staff. The investment of staff
3: and effort to test, um, which is considerable and makes it not realistic to do the kind of testing that some people have been suggesting could be done.
7: Health Canada has approved the tests. And the World Health Organization is recommending their use. Other provinces are using rapid testing much more broadly. Nova Scotia has detected dozens of cases using them in long term care settings. In BC, many of the decisions made around testing are coming without the input of seniors' advocacy groups.
8: Really, we only need to focus on those who are not vaccinated. The resources necessary uh, are not that high. Uh, providers are willing
0: to to dedicate their resources to this.
7: Seniors in long-term care have faced the brunt of COVID-19, but to many, it seems like a useful tool to shorten the isolation is being ignored. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
0: On the brink of financial collapse, the owners of East Vancouver's Rio Theatre are taking drastic action to reopen, converting to a sports bar and not an arts venue. The Rio has been closed since November's health orders that essentially prevents theaters from hosting events. So after keeping the doors closed for more than two months, the Rio's owner says that as of Saturday, the theater will be open from 3 p.m. until 10 p.m. with sporting events playing on the big screen, beer on tap and no cover charge. COVID continues to take a devastating toll on B.C. businesses, according to a new survey from the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. Ted Czernecki has more on the costs and consequences and why one leading economist says there are positive signs coming out of the pandemic downturn.
3: As you pass the one year mark since the outbreak of COVID-19 and approach the anniversary of the March shutdown, business in B.C. remains less than... But merchants might want to take heart in what Scotiabank's chief economist has to say.
2: In my experience, very rarely have we gone into a year where there have been so many positive signals, despite the fact that there are these very scary signals as well. Right? Like, rarely has there been this disconnect between what people feel today and what's likely to happen six months from now. Um, I'm looking at the six months from now, and, and I, I'm just extremely
3: optimistic. The Vancouver Board of Trade is holding a two-day Economic Outlook Forum, a cost-of-COVID survey commissioned by the board, reveals that 36% of business owners in B.C. continue to see increased operating costs. 34% are deferring or cancelling capital projects, and a third had to lay off staff. And some of them may never return. 70% said they believe the majority of their workers will remain at home until at least summer. 10% believe the majority will never return. 49% 49% believe low revenue will persist for the next three to six months and 24% worry that they'll have to lay off more staff when government subsidies end in July.
2: I don't think the government's going to pull anything away until they're confident that businesses are going to be able to handle it. Well, first, it was
3: suggested that no government will cancel subsidies if the economy hasn't recovered sufficiently. And Bank is forecasting economic growth in Canada and B.C. at about
2: 4.1% this year. We know President Biden has got these... Very ambitious fiscal plans. We'll see how they get rolled out, if he gets them rolled out. But it's not inconceivable that in the U.S. you end up with growth of like 7 or 8%. Obviously, if that happens, we'll have much stronger growth here as well.
3: And Perot believes B.C. is particularly well positioned for the new climate change economy, be it pulling carbon out of the atmosphere in Squamish or scanning the Earth's environment from space or any number of other small eco-companies that now call Vancouver home. But the forum was cautioned that so much depends on COVID. Mutations of the virus or a prolonged pushback from the public to get vaccinated could mean the longer business suffers. Tension Global News.
0: Instagram adrenaline junkies putting their lives on the line for the perfect shot. The latest stunt had one of them jumping off the Canby Bridge. Why, it could have killed him. Next on the News Hour.
5: My term as the
0: Donald Trump's final message is outgoing president, and the excitement for tomorrow's inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris coming up later. And a suspect who took a harbor ferry for a joyride. That's later on the news hour as well. Right now, though, Vancouver police are condemning an Instagram stunt involving young men jumping off the Canby Bridge, issuing a stern warning tonight. Grace Key has more on what went down. And why experts say daredevils are risking their lives simply for social media attention.
9: A
10: dangerous stunt posted on social media shows a man leaping from Vancouver's Cambry Bridge. They posted a similar stunt at Lonsdale Quay in November. Vancouver police say this particular incident doesn't appear to be criminal in nature.
2: It's an excellent example of um, risky behavior that um, sadly is... Uh, we're seeing more of in the city as people are trying to get themselves noticed and you know become viral
10: the stunt comes just days after searches found the body of 21 year old solo avid traveler nikki donnelly at cypress provincial park she posted a video of herself on saint mark's summit an hour later she called her boyfriend saying she was lost her body was eventually found in a steep drainage area in 2018, three people died falling from one of the pools at Shannon Falls. Their group posts adventures on social media. Three of them were banned from U.S. federal lands for five years and two spent a week behind bars when they wandered near a hot spring at Yellowstone National Park.
8: There's always been the idiot who's um, going over Niagara Falls in a barrel, right? It's like that sort of attention-seeking stunt has been with us for centuries and yet social media seems to be uh, broadening the appeal of that sort of thing, but also upping the ante for people.
10: Vancouver police point out the recklessness of the Camby Bridge stunt. A small boat that caught fire hasn't been salvaged yet and is one of the many hazards that sits in the frigid waters. Dangers some seem willing to face to gain bragging rights for more followers. Grace Key, Global News.
0: Some Stanley Park trails are being shut down following more reports of aggressive coyotes. Trails around Brockton Oval reopened late last week after two animals linked to biting joggers were euthanized. Since then, the park board has received new reports of coyotes chasing and nipping at runners. The area is being closed for now. Rangers say aggressive behavior is often the result of animals being fed by people, and they advise against it. Up next, a well-known B.C. singer speaks out about her own COVID tragedy.
11: Somehow someone brought COVID into his care home where we thought he was safe.
0: How Darby Mills of Headpins fame is finding a way forward after the death of her beloved dad. Also tonight, it's not often jailers get a letter like this from someone they incarcerated.
12: Final clearing stages of a two-car crash here in Burnaby, eastbound on Highway 1, just east of Willingdon. It's still in the HOV lane. The damage is done. Traffic is backed up right into Vancouver, into the Cassiar Tunnel. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $55 million, plus an estimated 4 Max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Lewis in sending Global 1, just above Highway 1 in Willingdon.
0: A privately owned seniors home in Summerland will remain under government control until at least July because of outstanding concerns about the care of its seniors. Shelby Tom spoke to the union representing workers at Summerland Seniors Village for their take on who's responsible for the mess.
13: It was February of last year when Interior Health made the rare decision to take temporary control of the foreign-owned Summerland Seniors Village after red flags were raised about the standard of care. An inspection that month noted neglect of seniors, bruising of seniors' arms not being properly investigated, licensed practical nurses sleeping on the job, missed medications, incomplete shift reports, and a lack of staff supervision on evenings and weekends. Administrator Vanda Urban has made progress since then, the health authority says, but there are still some outstanding issues. Her oversight role has been extended to July. We need to make sure that we have very stable leadership on site, um, including director of care and management staff. Health officials say the 112-bed long-term care facility also needs better employment stability.
11: There's also been staff turnover and staff shortages, which have probably been confounded by, by COVID-19. <laughs>
13: The union representing workers at the care home says low wages contributed to recruitment and retention problems.
3: The pandemic has fixed some of those problems in an odd way. Um, You know, uh, retirement concepts, uh, sites like Summerland Seniors Village had wages leveled up to the provincial standard.
13: Retirement Concepts is owned by a China-based holding company. Three of its other BC care homes were placed under administration in 2019.
3: We believe that it's important for there to be Um, sort of good accountability and control over public subsidized care homes.
13: Old says the province needs to swing the pendulum back to more public and non-profit ownership within the long-term care sector to better protect seniors. Shelby Tom, Global News.
0: A well-known Okanagan resident is among those grieving after losing a loved one to COVID-19. Darby Mills, known for her work as a vocalist for the band The Headpins, says her father passed away from the virus at a Vernon long-term care home last week. Megan Turcato has more.
11: Just a
14: wonderful guy that um, we're all going to miss greatly for sure. Former Headpins singer Darby Mills is mourning the loss of her father, Stanley Gordon Mills. The 90-year-old died at Vernon's Norick house last week after contracting COVID-19.
11: He was a great man and he uh, worked his whole life to supply his four children with everything he and and mum possibly could.
14: An outbreak was declared at Vernon's Norrick house in late December. The facility has recorded dozens of cases amongst residents and staff and two deaths, including Darby's dad. It's been a tough year
11: thinking we're doing the right thing and then 11 months in realizing that somehow someone brought COVID into his care home where we thought he was
14: safe and, um, and it, it took his life. Now Darby is remembering her father. As a young athlete, Stanley Mills played high-level hockey with the Oshawa Generals before an injury cut short his career. Returning to BC, he raised a family, worked setting up government liquor stores and contributed to a local Lions club.
11: I haven't talked to anyone in years that knew him as a young man that hasn't got a wonderful story to say about how generous and kind my dad was, which makes me feel
14: like I got a lot to live up to. Her father's death has Darby urging people to take the pandemic seriously.
11: Before you lose someone to this and uh, there's going to be so much more, um,
13: wash your hands, throw on a mask. Megan Charcato, Global News, Vernon.
0: West Vancouver police say a driver has come forward after Monday morning's hit and run that injured a pedestrian. It happened at about 7 a.m. on Taylor Way near Clyde Avenue. A 58-year-old man was hit by a white Tesla Model X, which continued heading towards the Lionsgate Bridge. Luckily, the pedestrian suffered only minor injuries. Police now say a 91-year-old man called them on Monday night and is being cooperative. They say that he says he was unaware he hit someone. And a fight at a school in North Delta has sent one youth to hospital with non-life threatening injuries. Police say it happened as classes were letting out at Burnsview Secondary School and a weapon of some type was used. A suspect is in custody. Police say the investigation is continuing and they are asking for witnesses to come forward. Straight ahead, high anxiety ahead of tomorrow's presidential
2: inauguration. Regardless of what your political affiliation is, doesn't matter.
0: Suspected extremists within the ranks of the National Guard pulled from protective duty. And a sobering report about the forced detention of young Canadians battling addiction.
6: A new chapter for America. The inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President
0: Kamala Harris. Special live coverage tomorrow on Global.
12: Final clearing stages of an earlier car fire here in Surrey, southbound on Scott Road near 100th Avenue. Only the left lane is getting by, but traffic isn't very busy over here. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $55 million plus an estimated 4 Max Millions Lotto Max streamed to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above an earlier car fire in Surrey.
5: As I conclude my term as the 45th President of the United States, I stand before you truly proud of what we have achieved together. We did what we came here to do and so much more.
0: Donald Trump releasing his videotaped farewell message today on YouTube. The president thanking his family and administration and touting his record over his four-year term without ever mentioning Joe Biden directly. Meantime, the president-elect took part in a powerful moment of mourning at the Lincoln Memorial Reflecting Pool. Joe Biden and vice president-elect Kamala Harris led the nation in an emotional tribute. 400 columns of light to honor the more than 400,000 Americans who have died so far from COVID 19. All this while the Capitol looks more like a protected war zone with police checkpoints and miles of fencing and razor wire. And today, a stunning twist as 12 National Guard members were removed from security duties after questionable behavior was detected.
12: With 25,000 National Guard troops in D.C., the Pentagon says a dozen have been removed from the assignment. Ten flagged in FBI background checks for various issues, ranging from minor criminal offenses to more serious concerns. Two more soldiers identified for what are described as inappropriate texts and messages, possibly expressing right-wing extremist sympathies.
8: Out of an abundance of caution, we
0: automatically pull those personnel off the line and make sure that they're not part of the mission
12: set. The FBI has been vetting every Guard member worried about potential extremists already in the ranks. We're looking for uh, any indication that an individual should not be included in the inaugural events. Tonight, Washington looks more like the Baghdad green zone than the nation's capital. Police checkpoints, Coast Guard boats on the rivers, roads and bridges leading into D.C. shut down, miles of fencing and razor wire, more troops arriving by the hour, D.C. airspace becoming even more restricted at 8 a.m., anti-drone technology in place, and state police reinforcements from across the region.
2: Regardless of what your political affiliation is, it doesn't matter. You're going down there to represent not only New Jersey, but all of law enforcement.
12: Meanwhile, more arrests and charges related to the January 6th attack. Riley June Williams of Pennsylvania turned herself in. The FBI says she stole a computer from Speaker Pelosi's office and was plotting to send it to Russian intelligence. Emanuel Jackson of Maryland, the FBI alleges, he repeatedly hit a Capitol police officer with his fist, then used a metal bat on officers. Vitaly Gostankowski says he found a taser on the ground while walking toward the Capitol during the riot, but denies he was the person who used it on Officer Mike Fanone, who suffered a minor heart attack after being tased by attackers who stole his taser. Many of those arrested say they deserve a presidential pardon, claiming they stormed the Capitol at the president's urging.
0: The province's representative for children and youth is demanding the B.C. government amend the Mental Health Act. Jennifer Charlesworth says she has heard horrible stories of mentally ill children being re-traumatized in care and wants them to be given access to an independent legal advocate. As Romina Dea tells us, Charlesworth is not alone in her condemnation.
9: A blunt damnation. The Mental Health Act is failing young people in this province, says the Child and Youth Representative. Although the objective in mental health detention is to keep young people safe, It's a powerful tool that is not always protective
1: or therapeutic.
9: A distressing new report by Jennifer Charlesworth reveals the number of children receiving involuntary mental health services skyrocketed over a 10-year period. Admissions rose from 973 to 2,545, an increase of 162%.
1: The fear and confusion expressed by youth when they describe their experiences in voluntary detention is troubling. Of the young people we heard from, detention was largely experienced as one more trauma on a trail of traumas.
15: They forced medications and you know, the forced detainment, those are very concerning to all of us. Shocking,
9: but unfortunately indicative of a system which creates chaos rather than effectively resourcing early intervention, say First Nations leaders. The Children's Representative making 14 recommendations to government, including identifying why mental health detentions are up, creating an independent body to protect the rights of children, and amending the Mental Health Act.
15: The system is, uh, is archaic, but we need to be heard. We need to get on with the reform and the changes that are badly needed for our youth and our families that are really uh, going through some really uh, horrendous uh, situations.
9: The Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions vowing to address the recommendations and develop a plan with Indigenous partners. Romina Dea, Global News.
0: Across the United Kingdom, hospitals are overwhelmed with COVID-19 cases and medical staff are at their breaking point. Here's a rare look at life inside an intensive care unit there and a warning, some of the images might be disturbing
1: how I feel about this time, like I'm trapped in a cave and the water is slowly rising and I'm barely keeping my head above water. It's scarier, it's bigger. I was so naive the first time. I wasn't convinced we were going to have a second wave at all and the huge numbers that have just absolutely slammed us um, it's just it, we I, I never thought it would be possible to have this many intensive care patients not at all
15: we've got patients on the third floor fourth floor sixth floor seventh floor eighth floor ninth floor 10th 11th 12th
4: die from this by the way i'm sorry to have to say that
15: i've felt broken on many
4: occasion
6: and I think a lot Sorry. of my colleagues have. He's
8: got he's got COVID, and he's had a stroke. So we're now going to run into a problem because we haven't got any beds. No beds. So I had five beds to start the night. Uh, we've Got two patients next door who need to come in. So
6: is he going into age Paul? Just down there. Thank you. All right.
5: My wife lost a, a fight for life. Um, it was a mixture of COVID and an, an infection um, that finally finished her off.
9: And this is literally in the last few minutes?
5: Yeah, 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 in the last half hour. It makes me really angry. No, no, nobody wants to go through this. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. This This really is... It's horrible, it's real and people really do need to look after themselves and take care because you don't want this to happen. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. Um, Yeah, please wake up and please be over careful, you can't do enough to keep yourself safe. Don't end up like us, please.
0: Coming up,
8: a major makeover for the Granville Strip. What we see the project doing is creating a renaissance within Granville Street. The massive redevelopment proposed
0: for Vancouver's party district. And in sports, the Canucks' early struggles and why they aren't panicking yet. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A man is in custody after a Victoria Harbor ferry was stolen early this morning, leading to a police pursuit on the water.
3: What are they doing? How come homeless people don't stay here? This is so fun.
0: Suspect captured on surveillance at the dock just before the 3 a.m. heist. Police say he initially sailed up the gorge waterway after taking the water taxi from the inner harbor, but when officers arrived on scene, he changed course Back towards the Inner Harbor and appeared to be trying to flee. Police jumped on another Harbor Ferry to chase him, with a Coast Guard vessel also taking officers on board in order to catch up with the suspect.
2: And eventually, after a lengthy time, you know, trying to negotiate with this individual, uh, they turned off their boat and they did surrender. They were taken into custody without further
0: incident. My understanding, a low, low speed chase. Yeah, they don't uh, they don't move move too quickly, so. Uh, <laughs>
3: All in all, uh, you know, a successful resolution.
0: Police say the harbor ferry wasn't damaged. Theft charges are being recommended against the suspect. Well, the unusual and unexpected greeting card West Shore RCMP got in the mail from a recent arrestee. That's coming up right after Christie's forecast. Thanks. gratitude. It's a good thing always. Let's check in with uh, Christy now, and yes, gratitude for another sunny day. It was a beautiful sunset out there, Christy.
15: Yes, it was a gorgeous sunset, gorgeous day today. We saw more cloud cover today compared to yesterday, but we'll take it, that's for sure, feeling like spring. For those of you that were working hard and missed it, this was the day from Peter Prevost looking out from West Vancouver. Just stunning shot with certainly some cloud cover, but really a gorgeous day, that's for sure. Here are a daytime high, so Metro Vancouver 9, that's 3 degrees above seasonal. We were well above seasonal across the south coast and the interior regions as well. But slowly in the coming days, we're going to see those temperatures dropped. Now, already the temperatures have dropped in through the east. So, northern Ontario, for example, highs of minus 20 today. And that cold air is going to shift into B.C. Not as, as cold, that's for sure. But we're certainly going to see a change. Many areas just back to near seasonal, but a lot of areas, especially in the interior, below seasonal. Now, overnight tonight, we will see more cloud cover. Southern Vancouver Island, you have a slight chance of showers tonight. And again, tomorrow evening, as a system just drops south of your area. Metro Vancouver cloud cover, but mainly dry. So, lots to look forward to in the coming days, especially those of you in the interior tomorrow. So, as I said, a touch cooler tomorrow, certainly, but lots of sunshine still in the forecast for the next few days. And for the South Coast region, more cloud cover tomorrow, certainly, with that tight, slight chance of showers in Nanaimo, Victoria. But overall, still a dry day, mainly cloudy into Thursday. Breaks a blue sky late Thursday, look at Friday and Saturday, terrific conditions, but you'll note that those temperatures begin to drop, and the key timing that we'll be watching is Saturday night into Sunday for the potential for snow. You need to tune back in, we'll have more details about where, when, how much, and those details as we get closer. we are still ways away. And here's your central window's weather window from Sylvester Law. This is Burnaby Lake, and these are mandarin ducks. The guy on the left is actually a mandarin duck, and so is the one on the right. It's a male and a female, so incredible how different the colors are. Thank you to Sylvester <laughs> for that one.
0: A L- little personal grooming going on there, too, it looked like. Thanks very much, Christy. <laughs> All right, a woman arrested on Vancouver Island last month has sent a thank you card to police, giving them a four and a half star review. West Shore RCMP received this handwritten card in the mail after the woman was booked there in December. It reads, quote, I was nervous about staying with you guys during my trip to the island, but I wanted to let you know that I appreciated how helpful and kind everyone was, especially the four jailers who do a tough job. Really?
5: Another trip to the dry cleaner coming up, but no one will notice, Squire. Go ahead. Everything's gone wrong. You know what? Like 30 seconds ago, it looked great. And then I had makeup in my hand, and I touched my lapel, and then my tie got all weird, and everything just started falling apart. It's like you're new here. It is like I'm new. (laughs) It's like I'm new to the planet, actually, some days. Uh, After starting the season with a win over the Oilers, the Vancouver Canucks have regressed. They've regressed to the point where Elias Pedersen is getting fined almost $4,000 by the NHL for slashing. That's right, this 1-3 start has been so frustrating that Elias Pedersen is turning into a goon. He hasn't scored a goal yet, neither is the power play for the Vancouver Canucks, which actually was the fourth best power play in the league in the last regular season. Obviously it's going to score sooner or later. But this is not how the Canucks picture themselves heading into a three-game visit from the Montreal Canadiens, which starts tomorrow.
2: Buck is lifted out, and Jacob Markstrom is two for two against his old team. Three straight losses and one win in four games is not the start to the year Canucks fans were anticipating. And before you say we're only a week into this abbreviated season, never before have wins and losses mattered more when you remember, every game is against a divisional rival. You know, I don't. I don't think we need to
0: get concerned. Um, you know, I just think we need to get, you know, dialed in and a little bit more focused on the way, the way we have to play to win. Uh, you know, it, it's it's still very early. You know, we can turn things around very quickly here. We just got it's a mindset.
2: Whatever that mindset is, it's in need of reprogramming. Nobody has taken more penalties this season, 22 minors in four games, than the Canucks. And who would have thought Elias Pedersen would have more penalties right now than points?
5: I was just disappointed in myself for being selfish, uh, letting my frustra- frustration take another dumb penalty.
3: So um, it's not going to happen again.
0: Uh, individually, you know, we need to have probably some better efforts out of some players. Um, that'll help and our special teams haven't been great, uh, that's going to help. And we got to stay out of the box, and that's going to help.
2: What would also help? Devising a game plan or system on cutting down the number of shots from the opposition. On average, the Canucks are giving up 36 shots a game. That's currently second most in the NHL. Last year, during the regular season, they surrendered the fourth most shots. And during this past summer's playoffs, Vancouver gave up close to 37 shots a game. And that's probably the most disturbing trend that we've seen of a Travis Green coached hockey team.
0: We just haven't played well enough. And that's the bottom line. If you don't play well, if you don't play good enough, you don't win in the NHL. You can't have half your team playing the way they should and half your team not. We need everyone to play better. And certain
5: players need to raise their game. They know that. And I'm confident they will. It's the uh, Senators, and that's Matt Murray, Stanley Cup champion when he was with Pittsburgh, against the Winnipeg Jets. Josh Norris, this guy was very good in the American Hockey League last year. I don't know how that goes in, though. Let's take another look, because that was just a weak little shot that found its way in the back of the Winnipeg net. one nothing in the first period for Ottawa. They'd go up 2-0 here as Chris Tierney knocks this one in. So Sens starting well at home. And then with the score 2-1 on the power play, nice passing here, Alex Galchenyuk. It's a 3-1 lead, but they couldn't hold that lead. Speaking of nice passing, this is a nice goal in the power play for Kyle Connor. Winnipeg would tie it late in the third and then win it in overtime 4-3. Well, watching the uh, first week of games in the NHL, players looked like they were having trouble handling the puck sometimes. It was almost like the ice was bad and it was bouncing on them. Well, it turns out it wasn't the ice at all. It was the pucks themselves. Now, these are the pucks with sensors in them to gather data and stats. So the league is sending them all back and they'll bring in a new supply of pucks. But until that happens, they are using some of the leftover pucks they had last season to fix things. Uh, Tiger Woods. I think it's safe to say he's had more operations than the guy in the game operation. In fact, they should use Tiger's likeness in that game. He announced he had a procedure to relieve nerve pain in his lower back. Apparently, his disc was pressing on a nerve. This is actually the fourth time he's had that particular operation. It means he won't be playing in next week's Farmers Insurance Open in San Diego or the uh, Genesis Invitational in Los Angeles. The earliest he might play is the Arnold Palmer, which is scheduled to start on March the 4th. He's apparently hitting some shots right now, not big drives, just from light iron shots, as part of the rehab for his latest surgery. Speaking of rehab, let's talk Patrick Mahomes. It could be that the Chiefs quarterback is back at Kansas City practice tomorrow after being in concussion protocol since leaving Sunday's game against the Cleveland Browns. Now, there's nothing official but reports say he's passing all the tests that players must pass before they are considered good to go. We should also say that even if you're in concussion protocol in the NFL, you can do some light working out at a team practice. Now, if he can't play Sunday against Buffalo in the AFC Championship game, then they would go to veteran backup Chad Henney, who, of course, finished the last game for the Chiefs against Cleveland and actually played pretty well. Uh, And Sarah Thomas, who worked the Buccaneers-Saints game on Sunday, will become the first woman official to work the Super Bowl game. She is going to be part of the Super Bowl crew. She became an NFL official in 2015, and before that she helped referee NFL scrimmage games and practices.
0: And that's it. Another glass ceiling broken. Good stuff. Thanks very much, Squire. Here's Andrea now with a preview of Global News at 11. Ann?
4: Thanks, Chris. We'll have more tonight on the number of COVID cases at Big White Ski Resort, now topping 200. Plus, we'll dig deeper into that announcement that East Fans Rio Theatre plans to reopen this weekend as a sports bar. It's an effort to get around the public health order that has hit the arts community hard. And residents of a rural community in northern BC are suing the BC government, BC Hydro and others over a series of landslides they say have devastated their their lives. That story coming up tonight at 11. Chris.
0: All right. Thanks very much, Ann. And when we come back, a plan to bring the Granville Strip into the future with a plan to preserve its past as well. That's next. A newly released proposal for the redevelopment of a critical part of downtown Vancouver's Granville Street has some good news for heritage advocates. The plan calls for a new office tower, restaurants and retail space, but it also saves three iconic entertainment venues. Linda Aylesworth reports.
1: Granville used to be a pretty swank street. The downtown portion was the city's entertainment hub, with clubs like the Commodore and theatres like the Orpheum. But time has not been kind.
8: Granville Street has suffered over the years and really needs a a catalyst for redevelopment and a catalyst to take us out of the pandemic.
1: So says Ryan Bragg, the architect given the task of
8: reimagining the 800 block of the street. Really what we're looking at with the design is a, a respect for the heritage which sits at the base of the building and then a, a very bold statement for new development above that, uh, that that heritage component.
1: The old Commodore Ballroom, considered by some as one of the best live music venues in the world, would not be harmed.
8: We're looking at spanning over top of the Commodore, and the Commodore itself is essentially kept without any structure going through it. There's no intervention to the Commodore itself.
1: As for the Orpheum Theatre, which opened on this corner nearly 100 years ago, it would benefit from from the addition of a 14,000 square foot performance venue.
8: The rehearsal space that is desperately needed for the Orpheum can be introduced into our new project, into the new construction, and then the existing Orpheum has the ability to uh, to be upgraded and refined. Above street level, there would also be
1: retail, restaurants and lots of office space.
8: And as opposed to being a tower which stands very tall, um, what we've done is we've sort of taken that tower and we've placed it across the entire uh, block. The
1: Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association believes the proposed development by Bonus Properties would revitalize Granville Mall.
8: It'll just be a great addition. Uh, adding about two to 4,000 employees there during the day will be a plus. It supports all the existing restaurants and retailers that are there. The ability that we have is to bring loads of people into Granville Street in the night, in the day, and allow them to exist in the way that Granville Street used to.
1: Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
0: There you see some of those glamorous old photos. It'd be great to see a little more action down there. It used there to be the, the
5: city of neon. You see all yeah. those old pictures of Granville. It was cool, all the neon. Amazing. Uh, All right, you don't need the neon to cut through the fog uh, these days.
0: Pretty crystal clear during the day. What's coming up, Christy?
15: Well, we do have a few showers in North Van right now, so still a slight chance of showers overnight with more cloud cover tomorrow, certainly. But still, we don't have any major rain in the forecast right through until the weekend, but temperatures sure are going to drop. So make sure you pull out your parka just like me. And again, hone in on Saturday evening, everyone, and keep tuning in.
0: All right. Sounds good. Thanks uh, very much for watching, everyone. Have a great night.